Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, my chickens. So most of the time on the podcast, I'm talking to you about your brains, what might be going on in your brains, how to deal with it, right? Today, you're going to get to hear me talk a little bit about what goes on in my brain. I am on the podcast today with one of my coaches. I always tell you guys that I have multiple coaches <laughs> because there isn't a clutch for me, which is why we have the clutch for you. So I am on the podcast today with a business coach I work with who specializes in diversity, equity, and inclusion work, but really beyond that, creating a just and ethical business. So the amazing Trudy LeBron is on the podcast with me. We are going to be talking about all sorts of questions that come up around building a business in an ethical manner. You're going to hear about Trudy's amazing life story, hear a little bit about my brain nonsense. But before we get to that, speaking of the business, As you may have heard, and if not, you will hear now, we are hiring. I am hiring a chief operating officer, a COO, and I'm hiring a marketing director. So these are two director level positions for people who want to work for a fast growing business with a global mission. We are really hiring at that director level right now. The COO is responsible for kind of being half of my brain, being the person who can implement and execute and strategize and handle all the logistics and make this big vision I have for this work come to reality. So it's a great position for someone who loves helping someone else execute their vision, who is great with details and the big picture, super organized, unflappable, really takes a lot of joy and satisfaction out of executing things precisely, which I am not a precise executor. So we need to balance me out. I'm a big picture thinker. And we're hiring a marketing director to really make sure that this message and work gets to as many people as possible. So this position will report like the COO directly to me and will be in charge of strategy and implementation and execution for all of our marketing and kind of public facing communication. So two super exciting integral roles. I am so, so looking forward to filling these positions with amazing, amazing chickens, hopefully. So if you think that you might be interested, you're going to want to learn more about the jobs. You can text your email address to plus one three four seven nine nine seven. 1784 and you will get a prompt for a code word and you just use the code word hiring. Again, that's plus one, three, four, seven, nine, nine, seven, one, seven, eight, four. Code word you use is hiring or you can go to unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash hiring. So let's get started with this interview. And even if you're not a business owner, you're going to want to listen to this because we're talking a lot about how to think about capitalism and just commerce versus toxic capitalism, which is a framework that Trudy is developing and that I think is so brilliant and insightful and helpful. So since we all live in a capitalist system, this really is going to be relevant to anyone, but especially if you spend time thinking about issues around capitalism and equity and equality, if you run a business, if you are even a manager in somebody else's business, these are all kind of important conversations to be having. So let's get to it. 
Hello, my chickens. I am so excited for this conversation today. We are talking to one of my coaches. I always tell you guys that I get coached all the time. And I think some of you don't believe me, but I do. And so we are talking to one of my amazing coaches, my DEI coach, in fact, Trudy LeBron, who is going to let her tell you all about herself. But we are going to be talking about capitalism, toxic capitalism, making money as a social justice DEI oriented business and just whatever the fuck else comes to mind. So Trudy has seen me all up in my head and all confused and she has set me straight, which is why she's here with us today. So tell us about yourself. So I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) (laughs) So great. So uh, yeah, I am a coach, an entrepreneur, now an author, very exciting new addition to the, you know, the title. And basically what I do is I help people build businesses and grow and lead businesses in ways that are more equitable, more inclusive, more just. And that goes far beyond what people tend to think as just diversity, Mm -hmm. equity, and inclusion. And I think that you found that as we've been working together for now, I think, you know, a couple of years now, a lot of people hear DEI and they think, oh, that's just like race, or maybe they think gender, but it's just so much deeper than that. And so my work is really about like, how do we do work differently? How do we do business differently? And how do we create businesses and institutions that treat people better so that we can have a better quality of life, both as leaders, and then kind of provide that to the people that we work with and then our clients and snowball from there. I love it. So before we get into like the theory stuff, I actually would love if you could talk to us about like your personal story, because I think you're someone who had circumstances in your life that like people would have some thoughts about those being kind of limiting your potential or determining what you can do. They certainly did. (laughs) Yeah. So I would love for my, for my people to hear about that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I grew up in a lower middle-class home until my parents were divorced Mm -hmm. in central Connecticut. My parents in the eighties were, we were a biracial family, which in the 80s, it wasn't mm-hmm. as common as we think about it mm-hmm. today. And so I grew up as a, you know, biracial young woman, you know, living in inner cities. And by the time I was leaving middle school and entering high school, at the time I was 15 years old, I had my first child. Mm-hmm. And then a year after I had a second child. And so by the time I was 15, I had dropped out of high school. I had like a terrible relationship with education Mm -hmm. throughout my whole life. Mm -hmm. I never also never quite fit in anywhere. Had all this kind of identity stuff always that I was constantly trying to negotiate. And then I found myself 15 years old, dropped out of high school, didn't even finish my freshman year Mm -hmm. with, you know, one baby and a second on the way. So that is really obviously what changed everything, you know, about my life. And what I remember most is that just the world had such strong opinions about what my life would become. I felt that very much even before I had a child, like I grew up, you know, I have to talk about being a young person growing up in inner cities, the dominant narrative of my life and a lot of my peers' life, like going through traditional public school, was that the default outcome for our life was going to be tragic unless there was an intervention of some adult. You know what I mean? Like right. of some like, like you're on the path to, to after school special cautionary tale. Yeah. Some kind of adult saves you. And that never really struck me until college when I started to meet people 
And even after, you know, when I started doing consulting work and working in schools, especially in more affluent schools, where I was like, oh, that's not what, mm-hmm. that's not what happens in other towns, like in other mm-hmm. towns, more affluent towns, the assumption was success. Mm-hmm. And then like everything else, all of the support was just kind of extra. But where I grew up, the assumption was like utter failure and mm. jail and pregnancy. And that narrative was kind of given to like really fed to us mm. my whole life. Like I definitely, I remember that very strong. And then of course, you know, I found myself with that prophecy fulfilled, right? Right. And then continued to have that narrative. Okay, now you're going to be broke for the rest of your life. You're going to be on welfare. Your kids are going to be, you know, struggling. You'll never finish school. Like, so the narrative was that way. And there was a lot of data to support that. But of course, the data doesn't give any context for why those things are true. Right, right. So well, how did you create yeah. a different outcome for yourself? I, <laughs> One of the things that I always say is that the way that I, like the parts of my personality that got me into a lot of trouble when I was a kid were the ones that got me out of it. Yes. As, I'm always you know, saying like, to people that what they think their biggest weaknesses is their greatest strength, right? Yeah. So, you know, the not wanting to follow rules, the kind of questioning absolutely everything, not listening to what people, you know, all the adults (laughs) were kind of telling me. Mm -hmm. Those were the things that allowed me when, you know, the adults were saying, oh, like, well, now your life is over and you're never going to be able to finish school and you're never going to do this. I was like, okay, watch me. You know what I mean? Like, watch me. And I don't know, I don't really have a place where that came from. Like, Mm -hmm. I was certainly an outlier in my family and in like my community, but I think that there was this deep connection and it's almost like magical in a way, just like seeing things on TV and envisioning a life for myself that was so radically different and kind of being like, you know, having no real examples of, of what that was, Yeah, but just thinking like, other people live in a different way. Like that exists in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, how can I do that? Yeah. And just being so really stubborn. I refuse to be broke. I refuse to be broke. I refuse to be struggling. I refuse to be uneducated. I refuse to accept what everybody is telling me Mm. my life is going to be. And they're just kind of like, figuring it out. Like there isn't, I know that sounds so cheesy, but it, it really no, but was of course, like, it's like you, but you had a set of thoughts that were like, yeah. this is what's motivating these actions. I think, you know, you and I have talked about this, but it's such a conundrum, not the, not the right word. It's just such a like tragic paradox to me that, you know, there's the ideology of like, which obviously neither of us subscribe to and most of my listeners don't have kind of like, you know, structural, whatever doesn't exist, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, blah, blah, blah. Like we don't subscribe right. to that. But then what's positioned as the alternative is basically people swing to this other extreme, which is like circumstance determines everything, right? And which is actually super infantilizing and fucked up to tell people that like, well, since we can't solve structural racism, poverty, or sexism in this lifetime, there's nothing you can do about your life. There's nothing anyone can do about their lives, right? It's like super structural Marxism all the way the end. And I say that as somebody, I'm not a Fox News commentator. I actually know what structural Marxism is, right? Like it's- (laughs) (laughs) Right. But it's like, that's it. And so I think like what's so hard to like cut through the mess with seems to be that to say that people have some choice and some agency, not total agency, but some agency, how they respond to circumstances is not to blame people who don't already see that or feel that or haven't had that example or aren't able to do it. Right. It's not like an apportionment of blame. Right. But it's so unhelpful. It's not helpful to go all the way to the other way and just tell people like, well, you know, 
there is discrimination against unwed mothers, you know, single mothers, discrimination against teen yeah, mothers. All kinds, yeah, yeah, for sure. Racial, like these, all these discrimination factors exist. And so you're completely fucked forever. Sorry. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I've always had this strong sense of agency that, mm-hmm. that, and I, and I refused to participate in any relationships or even like relationship with myself where, where I would give up that agency. So this idea, for example, that like, oh, you don't have a choice. Like I completely reject that. Right. You may have all bad choices, right? <laughs> right. You may that not like, like your choices. I coach on this yeah. a lot. Like sometimes I don't like any of my choices, but they're yeah. still choices, right? They're still choices. And so I've always been really connected to this idea that like, even though I don't like the choices that I have, I do have a choice. And if I resign myself to the idea that I don't have choice, that I am participating in my own oppression and my own, like, you know, like kind of giving away all of my power. So I'm just like, oh, well, I don't have any choice. Right. Like I do. And because I was so connected to that, I was able to do things and tolerate things that weren't enjoyable. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. For a bigger vision. That is everything, right? When we tell ourselves that we don't have, like, who benefits from us believing we're completely disempowered? It's not us. It's no, right. It's-, it's the oppressive structures, like, right. and the people telling us that when we abandon all of our agency, we are doing the oppressor's work for them, right? We are internalizing and like replicating that belief system that doesn't do right. us any favors, right? It doesn't do us any good. And I think that, like, the, that idea of like, I hate all these choices, but they are choices. The reason it matters is like, every time you make a choice, you move yourself to the next point where you'll be able to make another choice, right? You'll be able to make another choice. Like, so you are creating more and more opportunities for new chances to come along to see new avenues to make a next choice. Whereas when you like abandon your, when you resign yourself to having no agency and make no choices, that's it. It's like right. a flat, right? As opposed to like every time you make a choice, you're moving so forward to another one. Eventually, you will get to a set of choices where you actually like some of the choices, right? Yeah, and the and yeah, the more you do, yeah, and and eventually you're like, oh, like right. I have lots of choice now. So I, I've always been just for whatever reason, partly my personality, partly because of where I grew up, just being being able to see that I have some influence over, mm-hmm. you know, over my life. So I dropped out of school. I got my GED. I enrolled in community college as soon as I was able to. So which happened to be because I left school so early a year before my graduating class Mm. finished high school. So my friends were seniors in high school and I was a college freshman Mm -hmm. just going part-time, like trying to learn how to be back in a classroom because I've been out for a couple of years. And I started, you know, studying psychology, studying sociology, and just really getting kind of turned on to, oh, like there's a whole system in Mm -hmm. place. And I became obsessed with understanding what makes people who come from the kinds of environments that I came from, what are the determining factors, you know, that support someone having positive outcomes Mm -hmm. versus outcomes that are more stereotypical and statistical? Like, why is that? Mm -hmm. And that just kind of set me into like a whole world exploring race and equity and, you know, systems and all of that. And that's, yeah. So that, that has kind of how I got here and why I continue to be so passionate about coaching and this intersection of like justice Mm -hmm. and equity and coaching, because these are the kinds of things that make the difference in people 
having that kind of agency and self-determination and influence over right. their life. And it's empowering, right? I think the point of coaching is teaching people how to empower themselves. Yeah. It's not like, well, I'll come in and make this difference for you. It's like, let me help you see your own agency. And I think for anybody listening, like the best news is that you don't have to just magically as Trudy was be born with a belief in your own agency. <laughs> like right. you can actually learn it, right? If you are yeah. not someone who feels that way naturally, and understand that like your sense of disempowerment is what you've been taught to feel, right? If you are a woman, if you are a person of color, if you are fat or disabled or neurodivergent or whatever else, any marginalized identities you live in, you're basically taught that you are like helpless and not good enough and that other people should be in charge of decisions for your own welfare. So yeah. all of this, this like belief in your own agency can be built. That's like a mental skill you can learn, right? You don't have to be born with it. So let's talk about one of the systems, which is capitalism, because it blew my mind the other day with this (laughs) concept of toxic capitalism, because, you know, as you've experienced coaching me, and I think a lot, probably a lot of your clients are like this, having come from a social justice background and transitioned into entrepreneurship, like I had a lot of thought patterns that were, came from one context and didn't make sense in another context. And so I've I've done a lot of work on my money mindset over the years let's just start with like, this is something that came up recently. And I was like, we have to talk about this on the podcast. So tell me your kind of how you would define like capitalism and how you define like toxic capitalism. Like what is that concept yeah. that mean? So capitalism, I think the way I think about capitalism, and this is, I think a lot of people who know my work are surprised when I start having these conversations because people would assume that folks who do the work mm-hmm. that I do, that I would be automatically anti-capitalist. Even Which is though so funny also because you run a business. So like, yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> no, there's so many things that one of the problems with anti-capitalism too, is that there's not even a good kind of framework for mm-hmm. what that is. It, people yeah. use that term meaning like anything that is not capitalist, but you know, capitalism, it cannot be distilled in like one sentence. So I'm going to do my best to just say that capitalism- Adam Smith will roll in his grave. It's okay. Yes, absolutely. It's an economic system Mm -hmm. that allows people to earn money, to own businesses, and to participate in an economy that is their own, right? Where people can own it and like make decisions and have influence over it. And- receive capital from other, especially at the larger levels, we're not talking small business here, right? Like receive money from others in order to build businesses. So for example, if you're building a coaching practice, you can definitely bootstrap the heck out of it, which is what most people do. If you're building a new like medicine for like to cure something, Unless you were born into a family that just has like right, so unless much you're wealth. already a billionaire, that's right. Like- you need to be able to take investment from other people, and there needs to be like rules and structures in place for receiving that money, re- re- repaying that money, and so capitalism is the container for how all of those rules like operate, like how all of those relationships operate. So let's pause there because this is something that's really important. And I yell about this all the time. So I just want to yell about it again right now. People listening, (laughs) which is like, you know, I've seen and set out to coach coaches, but like small business owners and entrepreneurs and coaches come into my orbit. And one of the big ways I see women, other marginalized people of color, people in other various marginalized identities kind of hold themselves back, but especially women, I think, because of the socialization around it, is that even when they have a business, they are using like personal finance morality to think about their business. Yes. Right. 
So like, they don't want to take a loan. Like I see so many coaches who think about like having debt, quote unquote, even business debt as this like bad thing that means they are bad with money and like not good with money and can't be trusted with money and can't earn money, which is like a very personal finance moralist mindset, right? Like as though their business is the same as consumer debt because you bought 14 TVs that you did, right? Like, and it's (laughs) not the same thing. And like business debt capital is the, as you're saying, like that is the way that businesses function. Most big businesses have a revolving line of credit. Yes. The entire reason that capitalism was invented was that people cannot scale businesses without infusions of capital, by which we mean like the money that they can use to build the business. And so you need an international finance system basically that allows for that. But right. I think to me, this is so important because one of the reasons people are so weird about this stuff is that they have a whole bunch of things conflated that actually have like nothing to do with each other. Exactly. And then it brings all of this. So they like bring all this personal consumer spending mental drama to the way they're trying to build their business when those are completely different things. Like every big business in the world pretty much takes out loans and uses capital. That's why we have the system. And that's not a personal moral failing if your business on day one is not bringing in the revenue to cover itself. Right. Right. And that's why with even like within capitalism, these rules that I'm talking about are the things that dictate that businesses are treated as separate entities outside of the individual owner. And, you know, there's all kinds of relationships that exist, you know, what regarding your tax status. And that's what so your funny because honestly, private. probably S corps fuck people up in the head because it goes to your personal income tax return and it just makes it still seem like it's just you. I know. It's probably it's like so... bad for their thought work. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah. So capitalism isn't just this one thing. It's not just people making money. It's like all of these interconnected policies and laws and practices and relationships that govern and dictate how our economy works. It is both our ability to own a business and all of the listeners who own businesses that you can like hang a shingle and be like, I'm open for business today. I'm going to take money and provide a service. That's because capitalism, like that's because of our economic system and the laws that allow us to do that. You can't do that everywhere. Right. Um, so then what is toxic capitalism? Because obviously so, we also right. all know that it go too far, right? It's, exactly. There's a big difference between you and I and Jeff Bezos. Exactly. Many differences between us. <laughs> so many, all the differences. So many differences. In fact, <laughs> yes. we're carbon-based life forms might be the only similarity. But. Exactly. <laughs> so in the same way that like our ability to own a business is capitalism is the exact same way that capitalism is also, right? Jeff Bezos ability mm. to earn like bajillions of dollars and have people on his payroll who work 40 hours a week and still can't, you know, meet their basic needs with a 40 hour a week job. That the, the fact that those rules yeah. are in place, that is also a function of capitalism. And so what I have started to use the term toxic capitalism in the same way that we talk about toxic masculinity, right. Or talk, you know, we talk about toxic the more toxic aspects of all kinds of things to talk about these more insidious (laughs) practices in Mm -hmm. business that really are about the exploitation of people and the abuse of power Mm -hmm. and, 
all of the things that make it possible that companies can make and pay out millions of dollars to CEOs and shareholders while simultaneously furloughing workers for a year of the pandemic, but still having the money to like, you know, pay out big shares of of earnings. That's terrible. Like, I think that at a moral level, we can agree that that is a bad Mm. thing. But there are all kinds of these rules that allow these big corporations to mm. do that. That's a function of choice. That's pol- mm. That's because of policy. That Those things can be changed. Right. I think it's really important that we are careful to not throw away like an entire system without really thinking about the implications of all of the ways that our ability to earn and have right. an own companies are actually good for us. Mm -hmm. It's making me think of like, I don't know, vitamin or a medication or like something that like the dose is important, right? It's like at the right dose, it's like life and health promoting. And then at the wrong dose, it's toxic literally and will kill you. Yeah. Right. So I think it's interesting because I do think that there's a sort of, if you are like a real structural Marxist all the way, then I think your argument would sort of be that like capitalism is is sort of inexorably and inherently always going to lead, right? To maximum exploitation until there's a revolution. Right. Right. But I think as we see in coaching all the time, it's like, my opinion is anything that's like that black and white is probably not actually correct. Right. (laughs) I agree. Like, so what do you think are some of the, like, if we were going to try to, we don't have to draw like a super bright line because it's Mm -hmm. like a spectrum, right? right? But I am curious to hear kind of what you think are, maybe some of the deciding characteristics. Like one of the things I see that I feel like goes on in the, especially social, more social justice or like social media conversations about this stuff, besides the fact that most of the people don't have degrees in economics or sociology, is that because we have such a unequal economic system right now that does feel oppressive and exploitative to so many people who are like struggling to make ends meet, it then becomes sort of basically, it's like for everybody, it's like anyone who makes more money than me is the same as Jeff Bezos, right? <laughs> like it's all right. like it's all yeah, been yeah. collapsed kind of. Yeah. And I'm sort of like, okay, but actually the problems with wealth inequality in this country are probably not the person who owns the restaurant where you're a waiter who has like a 2% profit margin because restaurants right. are very tight to run. That's not the problem with wealth inequality in the country. Like the problem is the six billionaires who don't pay any taxes. Like exactly. there's this scale issue that people don't understand particularly because it's actually mentally hard for the human brain to understand what a billion is compared to a million. Like you guys should Google. There's amazing YouTube videos that show it with like grains of rice or like distances driving. It's bananas. So I'd love to hear like, what do you think are kind of the characteristics or like the signal points that we are like moving from a more socially like protective version of capitalism, we could say to like a toxic version of capitalism. The things that come to mind right away are really related to the exploitation of labor and the abuse of power. Those are two Mm -hmm. things that always come to mind right away. The abuse of power is one of the things that I actually am a little, not not that I'm more concerned with one or the other, but that I think happens more often, Mm -hmm. um, especially in smaller businesses, Mm -hmm. because so much business training kind of teaches some of these toxic practices around, you know, hiring labor for really cheap and just kind of like 
firing people like just with right. no fire slow, fire fast. Yeah, that oh, that is I cannot <laughs> stand. I'm having a physical body reaction to that. I'm thinking Every, about that TikTok that's going around that's like. I want you to know that advice enrages me. That like little song one, that's your feeling about that one. I guess <laughs> that is so terrible, right? Because these things are only meant to protect business owners, right? Like the idea of hire slow, fire fast, it really leads people, especially people who have this desire to have control, like total control. It really leads people down this path of seeing other people mm-hmm. as props and yeah, as like disposable. Just, yeah. Like in disposable and not really thinking about the relationship between an employer and a person, not just like mm-hmm. someone, a worker, but another person, yeah. right. Who's going to come in and who needs training and who needs support and who also took a risk in possibly mm-hmm. leaving another job and coming to you, right? Like there's all of this other relational stuff that's happening. And I think that our typical business training really walks people down this path that really starts to lead on like white supremacy and like toxic capitalism. And it's because it's all about the consolidation of power mm. and and ownership, like, and, you know, like that ability to just kind of like do what you want. Mm -hmm. I think that's dangerous. I think that like, in order for businesses to function healthily, I mean, look at right now we're in a, right now we are in a moment where people are like, I do not want to go back to work Yeah, because they're tired of being treated the way and being paid what they're being paid and being treated the way that they're treated. And so I think a lot of it comes into play around like how people are treated in the workplace what people are paid, the exploitation of labor, paying people as little as you possibly can. Meanwhile, in order to like profit yourself. So if you're paying people now, if you're a small business and you can't pay a whole bunch of money, that's different than having the ability to pay people enough money to like live and to, you know, proportionate to like where they live and the kind of job that they're doing without needing to have eight jobs. And meanwhile, you're, you know, have like all this cash sitting in the bank and like, you know, on Instagram with all your fancy things and, you know, like, I feel you know, my, yeah. I mean, I think culture. like so many people, especially who are socialized as women have almost the opposite problem, I think, where they're like uncomfortable. I mean, and you've coached me on this sort of this, like, well, basically as soon as I have employees, I'm inherently exploitative, no matter how well I'm paying them or how much they love their job or whatever else, right? The sort of like, I, th- I think that sort of at least the, the kind of people who come to me for coaching are much less likely to have the problem be that they're like, well, I'm trying to pay them dirt cheap to make the most that I can, right? And yeah. more that they're like, I don't think I should be allowed to make any money. I should pay yeah. my employees and not pay myself or right. like- I should That's like the other part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it depends on your kind of socialization and your background, I think. But like, I'm curious what you think about that. Cause, and this is something that, you know, you've coached me on and I talk about everything on the podcast. It's not like I have any filter about this, yeah. that like the sort of kind of like, well, if I'm making money and I'm making more than I pay my employees, am I inherently exploiting them? Right. That's what sort of classic capitalist yeah. theory would say, like inherently I'm able to make more money because they work for me. Therefore I'm exploiting their labor. But we've talked yeah. about like where there's limits to that analysis, right? Like not, especially when you think about like classic Marxist theory, like we're talking about, this is based on the industrial revolution and we're talking about a factory most of the time, right? And not like a life coach. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Totally. I don't think it's that you're inherently exploiting people if you're employing them and 
profiting. I think that exploitation happens when you're being manipulative or not transparent or abusive or paying people as little as possible and having unreasonable demands on people. I think it goes into exploitation when you use your position of power as the CEO or who, you know, whatever leadership role you have to have unreasonable requests of other people that they haven't consented to or that they're consenting to out of duress. Out of yeah. four, yeah. B- so it's really like forced. a relational analysis. Exactly. You're saying like we can tell when capitalism has become toxic when the relationship is there's always going to be some power imbalance if you are like the person who makes the hiring and firing decisions or if you are the person yes. who has the authority. Although of course an employee can also quit. But when it becomes sort of unbalanced, right? And, th- right? and I think like people are so uncomfortable with that because I see this come up around coaching and like personal relationships too. Like anything that is like a gray area or requires discernment, people are uncomfortable as so yeah. they want there to be like a clear rule, right? So right. it's like, it's it feels similar to me in the way that it's like, now basically any emotional work you do in a relationship has become emotional labor and should not have to happen as opposed to like, well, all interpersonal relationships require some work uh, with the other person's emotions and yourselves. And like, it's not really an on off switch. The question is just like, how much of it are you doing? And is it worth it to you? And like, when we get to the extremes is when we have problems. Right. I remember having a conversation with a student when I was teaching, I think it was like an intro to human services course, like at one of the local colleges. And he was expressing to me like his frustration with his job, that would frequently call him on his days off and ask him to come into work. And, you know, he had plans and he had kids and he was in school. And I was like, well, say no, like, like just, they call you either don't pick up or say no. And what he said, and I certainly remember being, you know, I I used to work in, you know, like CVS and restaurants and stuff like that. And I used, so I remember what that was like to be in those jobs, but, you know, he was saying that he felt like if he said no, that they would penalize him, mm-hmm. right? He, they would cut his hours or maybe fire him or they wouldn't put him on the schedule for next week. You know, some that's exploitation. Yeah. Right. Like that is absolutely but this also like, to me, this brings together the two threads of our conversation in such an important way, which is yes, there are employers who will do that. Right. Yes. It is real that it is not a simple, easy thing necessarily to just quit your job. If you don't like how they're treating you, you know, based on how much you have in savings and like whether you need the health insurance and like all all that's true. And it is also true. I think that you have more agency than you think to go out and find a better job, a job where they aren't going to treat you that way, whatever that is. And that the fact that you think you can't is actually one of the lies of capitalism, which is that since capitalism is inherently exploitative, no job will be any better than this. And you just have to put up with it and you have to live in that scarcity and fear. Like that's, oh, I just got like chills up the back of my neck. Like that's, that's how these things come together. Right. Which is like, not to say that there aren't actually structural constraints that people have to deal with, but this is a perfect example of how, when you believe the lie that all of capitalism is like this, therefore all jobs are exploitative and terrible. Therefore you are worth nothing and have no agency. Therefore you have to take whatever gets dished out to you. 
that's that same thing we were talking about in the beginning where we yep. teach people that they have no agency, right? Exactly. And you participate, that's what I mean. Like and you, you participate, participate in your own, in your right. own yeah. As opposed yeah. to being like, okay, what kind of job do I want? Like, how am I going to figure out how to get that job? I might have to stay at this one until I can. Right. I'm not quitting and not having health insurance if I can't, you know, if my kid needs it or whatever. Right. It's not that there is no practical reality to deal with. Or but- am I making up the story Right. That like, I won't be put on the schedule. Right. He doesn't week. even like, know. Can, I, can I self-advocate? Can I pick up the phone and say to my supervisor, I really can't come in today, but I'm afraid that if I say no, you won't put me on the schedule next week. What right. do you think about that? You yeah. know, and putting yeah. like, and putting that other person who has the power in a situation where they now have to like either commit to something or, you know, like kind of problem solve it with you right? Right. or assure you that yes, you can be home with your kids on your day off, right? Like on your scheduled day off. Right, right. I mean, it's just so, it's like such a parallel. There's so many areas sort of like, yes, it's like in relationship coaching, it's like, yes, some things are abusive. And also the way that we help people out of that is not by telling them that everything is abusive. And so they have no agency and there's nothing they can do, right? It's like, empowering people to see they do have agency, even in difficult conditions. That's actually how we help people change their lives. Absolutely. Oh, so good. Is there (laughs) anything else we even need to say? I feel like we just like tied it together in this beautiful like package. Is there anything else you want to share? (laughs) Yeah. So I will say that is the toxic capitalism piece. And so what I am trying to kind of champion, right, is this idea that there are more measures for success that I think this is part of, I think this is part of the loop that we get into, right? We buy in to capitalism, meaning one thing, right? Meaning that we all have to be out for bajillion dollars and for the big company and and whatever. And that our measurement for success then, even in small businesses becomes well, how much money do we make, mm-hmm. right? And how much, I think that part of the solution, especially for people who come from the kinds of worlds that we come from, like the nonprofit worlds, education, yeah. social justice, that show up into business thinking, oh, I can't earn, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I shouldn't, I, I can't pay myself well, or uh, money is bad and still are bringing a lot of those mindset challenges in right. is to reframe our relationship. And I've stopped using, I mean, I obviously I, I'm I'm talking about capitalism, but what I'm encouraging people to think about their businesses as not necessarily anti-capitalist, but equity centered. Mm-hmm. And the term that that I, I'm writing about in the book and that I'm talking with people about is around just commerce. So like a justice-based mm-hmm. commerce where there are more measures of success than just money, like how much revenue right. we make. And we need that on the policy level, right? I mean, the truth is so long Absolutely. as like, like for people who didn't go through corporate law, like, or I didn't go to corporate law, but I took corporate law. I didn't go to a corporate law firm was what I mean. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> for those who don't like right now for a public company, right? The company has a fiduciary duty to the shareholders to maximize right. profit, right? Which means that the policy and the law basically yes. is that they have to make decisions that maximize profit for the shareholders, which means firing people, cutting their benefits, like all of that stuff. Right. And you basically, if you're a large publicly held corporation, you actually don't have as much flexibility in the matter as you would think. You can be sued. Yeah. If you don't, your shareholders can get together and sue you and say, and often the shareholders in those big companies are like venture capital firms or banks or institutions who have enough shares to really do that. So, right. You could be sued for making decisions that are better for workers and bring down the 
right? The yeah. profit line, especially in the short right. term. So it's like, we need this at a personal conceptual level, but also at like a global policy level, Absolutely. right? 100%. And, and we also have to remember that like, if our standard for business is what you just described, and, and it is, like, I think that when, even when people are taking like basic business courses in college, even when they're like yeah. getting their bachelor's degree, they're learning about this type of business that there's right. this big kind of company, right? Maximizing profits, minimizing expenses, market, right. you know, like all of that kind of stuff. That rule doesn't apply unless you're a publicly right, traded right. company. So if you own your own small business, you get to make up a different set <laughs> right. of rules and measures for success. Right. You don't have to hold yourself to that standard. Right. You can choose. And oftentimes, like, it's better for you. I know so many people who are burning themselves out, like doing things that are actually against Right. their own values and like don't feel aligned, but because they feel like they have to be on this chase for seven figures or the next seven figures or whatever, you and know, whatever it is. To put their worth on that. Right. I mean, women, especially exactly. like, it all gets so fucked up. Women are socialized to think they're bad with money. How do you prove you're good with money? Make a bunch of money or have a right. high enough profit margin or whatever. It's like not even driven necessarily by some character flaw, like greed or whatever else. Right. It's just driven by, like a lack of self-worth, a lack of relationship with self, like, and this, you know, sort of totally socialization around trusting yourself. I mean, more and more what I see with women and money is that women are socialized to not trust themselves about money, right? right? There's like somebody outside of you who knows and who is the expert and who can tell you what to do. And then when you don't trust yourself, you go to the obvious things, which are like, what's the revenue? What's my profit margin? What's whatever, as opposed yeah. to like, well, no, I mean, I want to choose to pay people an amazing wage, not just living wage. And I want right. to choose to, you know, I mean, I go through this myself in my own business. Like we give health benefits to part-time employees, which is like not that common. And we do profit sharing and all of these things. Like there is this sort of, you have to do all this thought work on this socialization of like, well, I can't trust myself to make these decisions. So I guess I just have to do what everybody else is doing or right. pay some dude on the internet to tell me how I should be doing things. Exactly. And I think that's what I would like to see more of, like more people coming up with measures of success for their business that are, you know, obviously everybody needs to have a revenue goal, like you yeah. should, that should, you know, like if you are compelled and have that dream to build a big company, I'm not at all, so I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying like, you shouldn't go, well, you know, also, go all if, in. Well, wait, but like pause there for a minute, because if you're listening to this podcast, I am pretty sure I want you to build a big business versus the guy who's listening to like For Elon sure. Musk's Twitter feed <laughs> and yes. following that dude and emulating right. him and like based like yeah. trying to be like him. If you're listening to this podcast instead of Elon Musk's Twitter feed, I want you to start a big business and I want you to make all that money because you are going to be a much better steward of it and a much better sure. impact on the world. Right. Than 100%. 100%. And like, Sometimes we're in a season of our life where it's just like there are other things that are more important. Totally, than like yeah. Doubling my revenue you know? <laughs> doesn't want to, right? Yeah. I mean, it's all like, what are you right. called to do? Exactly. But I think it's so important for women to understand, and people of all marginalized identities understand, like when you opt out of the game, you are ensuring that the game stays the same. Yeah, I say that all the time. That that is actually in the best interest of the people who hold all the power right now for you to opt right like, for you to exactly be like what you. Right. I always yeah. think about this. Who was it? Was it Sonia Renee Taylor? I think so. The body's not an apology. She did. I think it's like an Instagram live with Rachel Rogers or something. But anyway, she just said it in this way that I was like, like where she was like, basically, 
all the people with the money are telling the people without the money that like money's this bad, dirty thing that you don't want anything to do with. Like it's so morally corrupt and coarse and you don't yeah. want, we'll just, we'll just hold on to it. Don't worry. We'll just keep the money. <laughs> and like, you don't want right. anything to do with this. And like right. something's wrong there. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. No, I, I think that if we have more good people with lots of money, they will do good things with it. What's that? Like money makes you more of who you are. Like, I think that that's true. Yeah, it's just an energy. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I for sure, like make all the money you want to make. And I do encourage people to think about what are the non-monetary measures of success, whether that be like the spaciousness in your life, your relationships with people, also your ability your to thoughts. Give. Like none of yeah, that, none absolutely. of it's going to make you feel successful. I mean, there are people out there with a billion dollars who are still like, well, my dad gave my brother more praise when I was growing up. So like, I still don't think I'm good enough. I mean, emotional satisfaction, like these are like yeah. two different things, right? Like your totally. emotional satisfaction you create with your thoughts. Now, what kind of like thing you want to do in the world and how you want to impact the world and how you want to impact other people and what kind of opportunities you want to create, that's over here. Like that's never going to create your satisfaction totally. or your dissatisfaction. I don't think that's clear enough for people. I mean, no, for your we're listeners, like, we're I'm told, sure like, yeah, you guys are like on so. it, right? But I think yeah. this is the thing, like, right? Like helping people to understand that like, no matter where you are in your business growth or financial success or whatever, like that you're managing your mind and like making conscious choice and how you feel about it, your relationship to it. Those are, yeah, those are completely different things. Yeah, so good. All right. Where can people find you if they want more of this goodness? Folks can come and hang out with me on Instagram, which is where I spend most yes. of my Highly time. Highly recommend Trudy's Instagram. I follow it, even though I get to talk to her personally. Yes, I'm there more often. And also the book, the anti-racist business book, which has a whole chapter on from toxic capitalism to just commerce is in there. It's coming out in April. It's available for pre-order right now on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, and soon independent booksellers. So we're very excited about guys. You got to go pre-order. We'll put the link in the thing, get useless. Cause then you're gonna have to pre-order my yes, book. Yes, you got to yes. pre-order. Pre-order is so important. Pre-orders are everything. All those pre-orders get counted as an order on the first day. That's how you get on the bestseller list. Yes. So go do those pre-orders. Yes, yes. All right. Thanks for hanging out and sharing your wisdom with us. Thanks for having me. It was super fun. I love talking to you. I'll see you soon. See ya. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things Unfuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.